Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you can be best friends who learn and grow together, share dreams together, have adventures together, and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. But before we go any further, I have a question. What if every conflict you ever had with someone else was actually just a miscommunication? And what can you learn about yourself from the way people affect you? Well, in this episode of Women Wanting Women, I talk about all that and more with my dear friend, Martha Hamans, a relationship coach who works with individuals and couples to help them better understand themselves and each other. You can learn more about Martha on Instagram at how we get along. But before you do, stay tuned for all the incredibly valuable relationship hacks and life lessons she shares with us here. Martha, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. I love all of our conversations and always look forward to them. So I know that my audience will love it as well. So before we jump in, why don't you give a little background about who you are and the work you're doing? Yeah, I am a relationship coach and I work with both individuals and couples. I started doing this five or six years ago after a long career living in New York and LA, working in, um, as I was a project manager, working in fashion mostly and you know, media agencies and advertising, mix of all of that. And when I took a step back from my work so many years ago, I realized that the one thing that I really loved about it was that I was always mediating between two often very opposed and conflicted parties. So that was typically marketing and creative. Um, they did not get along. And my job was to help people get along reorient, remember that they're on the same team with the same goal. And it was really, I always would say project management is actually people management. Uh, the project part was secondary. And after realizing that my work was stressful and I was not the person that I wanted to be, I took that step back to say, what is it, what is it that I love about this? What am I good at? And that was the thing that stood out the most was really helping people understand themselves and each other better and remembering that they're on the same side. So that kind of sparked my my path on becoming a relationship coach, and here I am now. I love that, the idea of helping people to understand themselves and others better. So for anyone who is sitting here wanting to understand themselves and other people better, what's the first place to start? What advice do you have? That's a great question. I think that we discover ourselves in relationship. And the easy thing is to become hyper-focused on the other person and what they did or didn't do and how they made or did not make us feel a certain way or whatever the story is around it. But I think that the beauty of understanding ourselves through our relation to others is where we get the most magic and the most self-reflection and the most knowledge of the truth of us when we pay attention and we use the relationship that way. I mean, 
so often I hear the saying and more and more people are talking about it, how your relationship is a mirror. To me, that doesn't mean just a romantic relationship. That means all relationships. It could be anyone. It could be an interaction you had with someone at a grocery store. It shows us who we are and how we show up with others and how their behavior affects us. Yeah, that's so genius. So you talk about this this idea that when we meet someone, there's so much focus on the other person, what they did, what they didn't do, and how it made us feel. What's the alternative? You said instead of focusing on that, what is the other side of that? Instead of the hyper-focus on the other, how can we discover ourselves via relationships with different questions other than those questions? Yeah, I think it's it's looking at our criticisms or judgments of others. And instead of fo- hyper-focusing on that in terms of a, a negative way, criticism or judgment of another person, it's flipping it and saying, what does this tell me about myself? And actually examining it that way. For example, when I'm frustrated with my partner and I have a criticism of him, there's some validity to that. And we can we work with that in a container and our relationship in a specific way. But at the same time, I'm always running as best I can, some frame, putting on, putting on a frame to examine this of what does this tell me about myself? What need isn't being met? How have I shown up to help co-create this dynamic with him? Does that make sense? Well, you and I both learned from Annie Lala. So everything you're saying is making perfect sense to me, but I do want to dive (laughs) deeper into it. Yeah. Because when we do criticize another person, if we see something they're doing is wrong, you're right. There could be something valid inside of it, but it also could tell Mm -hmm. us something about a need that we have that's not being met, a judgment we hold based on a belief that may no longer serve us, stuff about our upbringing Mm -hmm. that may or not be helping us in our life. What other examples do you have and how do you work with this with couples? How could people work with this with themselves? Yeah, I think with couples, a frame that I think is genius that I got from my relationship coach and our mutual friend, Annie Lala, she offered this amazing tool that has helped me so much and all of my clients. And it's when your partner has a criticism of you and vice versa, asking yourself, looking for the golden nugget of truth of their criticism and asking yourself, if I were to do the thing they're asking me to do, whether it's keep my word or show up on time or whatever they're frustrated and criticizing, attacking you for. If you actually run that through, would I be more proud of who I am? Would I be a better friend, partner, leader, teacher in my life? If I were to do the thing they're asking me to do, if I were to always show up on time for the people who are important to me. And when I use that in my own relationship, That's how you find the truth in the criticism and the validity of it. And then on the flip side, there's what in me can I work on to improve this dynamic too? That's so beautiful. Would I be more proud of who I am if I actually do what they're asking me when they're criticizing me in this way? Unfortunately, that also can bring up a lot of shame. It could bring up a lot of the places in ourselves that we are struggling with the most and then that could lead to, to some negative reactions. How do you work with that when that comes up? Yeah, I encourage all of my clients and part of the work that I do is helping them express their hurts and criticisms with the least amount of shame possible. So when it's framed of, you know, why are you doing the thing? Why are you always late? Or even if you use something like nonviolent communication of, when you're late, it makes me feel this way. Sometimes that can still bring up shame. So it's a great question because when it's actually delivered with love, when you're in a regulated place and your energy is calm and loving, it's the difference between pointing a finger and saying, you, 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 you're doing this bad, wrong thing and saying, I love you. Here's a way for you to grow. Here's a way that I see you becoming more of the person who you really are. You know, let's just say we know that we have a habit of being consistently late or we know that there's some way in which we know that our partner's criticisms are speaking to something very real and they're totally right. And then that in and of itself can be quite painful, right? The parts of us that we haven't conquered yet. Yeah, that's really true. And I think that that is also the beauty of relationships is it shows us our wounds. 
and what needs tending to and what needs our own love. And I guess there's so much healing in the fact that in spite of those shortcomings, our partners still love us through it. A hundred percent. And you get to make the mistake and keep showing up the next day. And they can reflect that back and say, and I'm still here and I love you and I want you to work on this, but I'm still here and I love you. And that that's part of, I think the healing process and we do become more proud of who we are, or at least in my experience, I become more proud of who I am when I work on those things, which helps mitigate the shame. It helps mitigate the shame, yes. But what also helps is having a partner, is, it shows why it's so important to have a partner that you respect, mm-hmm. whose opinion you respect, and whose values you respect, mm-hmm. because it makes it a more clean mirror. Absolutely. So what are some other ways that relationships can be mirrors for people? They can use relationships in this way. Yeah. I think even when I reflect on friendships and all the relationships I have in my life, I learn that a different side of me comes out with different people. So different people bring out different sides of us. Like a particular friend I have is extremely silly and fun in a, in her own special way. And she brings out a silly side in me that I actually don't operate in that realm as often as I would like to. I'm not, I don't take the lead on being silly. And when I'm with her, I get to be that part of me. And so I think that when I actually reflect on using relationships as a mirror, it's who do I become in this relationship with you? What part of me comes out? And I get to actually discover different parts of myself that way. That's so sweet say more. I think really looking at each relationship, doing almost an audit, like taking inventory of all the relationships in your life can be a really valuable thing of what role do I play with this person? Maybe it's a more supportive one. And that actually is, there's somehow a subtle reciprocity, even though on a high level, it looks like, oh, you're always giving, perhaps you're getting in a way too. And sometimes I think it's important to pay attention to that, to almost scan for any resentment or any subtle stories that are going on and debunk what you can, debunk what you need to. So that's another way I think that you discover yourself in relationship of, oh, with this person, I'm a really strong support. With this person, I have a lot of fun. Maybe we don't go deep, but I get to be this version of me that's way more silly. I love this question, this idea of auditing all your relationships, a list of, you know, the top, however many people you have in your life that are closest to you, and then going through each and say, what, who do I become when I'm with this person? What parts of me come out when I'm with this person? What role do I play with this person? And what are the stories that I'm telling about this relationship? And are there any resentments that I'm holding with this person? Mm-hmm. It would be really interesting, almost like in an Excel spreadsheet, just breaking down each relationship and seeing where there are similarities, where there are differences. Mm-hmm. It's such an interesting idea. Yeah, and I think, I think relationships can be categorized almost, <laughs> for better or for worse. Some relationships are more transactional. Other relationships are very, there's a lot of reciprocity. There's mutual support. There's the ability to have fun and go deep. Other relationships feel obligatory. Maybe that's a familial relationship, maybe. And so it's examining all these different dynamics within the relationships across your life. I I really do call it a relationship audit and thinking through who am I becoming in these relationship containers because the people that surround us influence us greatly. Yeah. We become the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's interesting when you talk about some relationships are transactional and actually some transactions can be fantastic. You know, you get someone that you work with well or that they provide a great service and you give them a a fair rate for those services. Right. It's so interesting, though, that that almost has a negative connotation when people speak about transactional relationships. Do you have more to say about this? Yeah, I think that transactional relationships are not necessarily a bad thing. I think they serve a purpose, just like you said. I think that the beauty comes from being clear about what the relationship is and having clear expectations and 
yeah, an understanding of what it is versus I think when we confuse ourselves thinking that transactional relationships are the same as more soul nourishing connective conversations or relationships, that's when things can get muddied. But I think that transactional relationships can be amazing and they're necessary, especially in the world we live in. Even going back to what you talked about with someone that maybe is just fun, not as deep, even if you just think of it as, as maybe a going out friend you had for you know a few months when you're in one certain place, not, not that that's necessarily quote unquote transactional, but I like when you talk about clear expectations because sometimes the reason people get hurt in relationships or friendships is thinking that because we're friends, it has to mean all these other things that other friendships have meant in the past. But if it really is just, hey, we're going to meet up here, we're going to have a nice time, we're going to be nice to each other, we're going to make this weekend or evening better because we're together and you don't have to feel bad or get upset or be offended when there isn't more on the on the other side. Uh, if, if, if the expectations are set, that's for... I don't know if we considered just someone just you have fun with as a transactional friend, but I think I think exactly just being clear about the expectations, but also to me that's an acceptance of the other person. And that's not saying give all your time away to people that to relationships that aren't additive to your life. But it is saying that it is okay for different relationships to be at different levels and serve different purposes. I, I think it's it's finding what works for you and that we get to define all the relationships in our life. They, there is no one size fits all and there are no rules. And I, I actually love that about relationships. When we actually take a step back and think about it, there are no rules and you get to make the rules and figure out what works for you. And it's about acceptance and um, intention at the same time. That makes sense. I've never been a group of friends type of person. I've never had or a group of girlfriends type that wasn't the way I usually rolled, but I remember when I first was in law school, my best friend in law school at the time, we were just getting out of college and she still had a very close circle of girls that they had been in the same sorority in college. And there were so many expectations they had about showing up for birthday parties, showing up for this, that, or the other night. And it was, it, it, there were rules and it was strict. And eventually she ended up not in that group anymore because she just couldn't, I guess, meet all their rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that's, that's an example of someone listening to how listening to themselves and recognizing how does this relationship or group of relationship dynamics, how does it make me feel? And is this working for me in my life? I mean, people often talk about, do you feel energized or drained after spending time with someone as a way to get clarity on if it's a positive, uh, net positive on your life or net negative. And I think that's a black and white way of looking at it. But what you just described about your friend and her group of friends is she find, she was tuning into herself and recognizing this is too much pressure. I feel like I'm giving and not receiving. Or perhaps there's pressure to show up to everything or fear of being talked about behind your back or whatever the whatever is happening there. So it's really a lesson in listening to yourself and how does this relationship make me feel. Another side of relationships that I think you'd have some good wisdom on is just the sense of being liked by others or not being liked by others or as we grow into adults and we become a little bit more aware of our personalities and our quirks and the ways in which we're different from others. What do you what advice do you have about yeah, what advice do you have about being liked by others? Well, there's a quote um, that I love and I think about often, and it says something, I'm going to butcher it, but the essence of it is essentially people fall in love with who they get to be in your eyes. And there's another that says the same thing in a different way, which Maya Angelou said this, and it's people, they don't remember what you said. They don't remember what you did. They remember how you made them feel. And I think both of those are really the essence of those quotes are saying the same thing. And that is actually something that I think some people naturally do. And so for, for me, one of the skills that I think I developed as a kid, probably from wanting to be liked is I find it to be very easy to see the genius in people and to it's, 
I can effortlessly find something to admire in anyone, even in people I don't like. <laughs> and there's always something you can admire in someone, whether it's their work ethic or their curiosity or how articulate they are. You don't have to like the person to find something to admire in them. And that's something that happens for me that that happens very easily. I just, that's what I see. And that's also a skill that I think can be developed. But if you, when you meet people, if you sniff out a reason to admire them and reflect that back to them or get curious about it, do you know you're this way? Or I love this about you. Do you know you're, then watch their face light up, ask them how they, like if they knew this about themselves or how they developed that skill. The quality of the questions you ask is extraordinary. Is the, did you read a book on that? Does it come naturally to you? Were you born this curious? Were you like that as a kid? I mean, there's so many things that I think you can actually gain from authentic curiosity about another person that you can access through sniffing out what you admire about them. And the beauty of this, to circle back to your question, is it feels so good to be on the receiving end of that. And the person that you're doing, you're you're being curious about and admiring is going to fall in love with you because it feels so good to get that type of attention. And it's all genuine and authentic because it's coming from that place. Because if you really, if you really are being genuine about it, you really do want to find something to admire, not because you're being a people pleaser, not because you want to belittle yourself and hold them on a pedestal they don't deserve, but just because we're not perfect. Everyone has something they can teach us, and we would become a we would all genuinely become better people if we were able to, as you say, sniff it out, sniff out what what mm -hmm. what what is the thing that they can teach you, and becoming genuinely curious about that in a selfish way, almost right. Teach me. I want to know. I want to get good at that instead of making it a a people pleasing suck up kind of inauthentic oh look how great you are kind of thing no but if you really really find a way to be curious about it you get to be authentically amazingly good to be around I love that yeah and your self-esteem goes up I think what you said is really important because making the distinction between doing it from a people-pleasing almost fake place of sucking up putting them on a pedestal that I know that energy because I used to live there. And the difference between that energy and doing this authentically, seeking a reason to admire this person, looking for what you love about them, what their strengths are, that is a totally different energy. And you can feel the difference in a dynamic. And one decreases my self-esteem when I, when I do it from a people-pleasing, inauthentic place. And the other increases my self-esteem and I can physically feel the difference when I'm in the situation and afterwards. And now I spend a lot more time in the authentic version of it, thankfully, because it makes my whole life and all my relationships better. Yeah. You are really good at giving genuine compliments and asking amazing questions. I do have to, to acknowledge that about you. And it's just, it just makes so much sense that this, this being that way doesn't have to it it doesn't have to lower your self-esteem in any way when you're sucking up when you're people pleasing there's sort of a diminishment of self mm -hmm. but you don't have to diminish yourself at all when you're genuinely thinking this person knows something they could teach me what can I learn from them that can help me be better there's nothing in there that's self-diminishing whatsoever 100% and another key thing about this is energy I mean, we're energetic beings and I can feel my energy is, for lack of a better word, icky. When I am hyper-focused on things I don't like about the person, how they're irking me in this way or whatever the story is, when I'm focusing on that in them, everything about my own energy and my experience of being alive goes down. And when I start seeking reasons to admire them, even if I don't like them and I shift out of the icky energy, I feel better in my experience of being alive improves too. So to me, it's, if we all practice this instead of focusing on what we don't like about people, obviously within reason, listen to your instincts if it's an important or weighted situation. 
But in general, if we were to seek reasons to admire others instead of to judge and criticize them openly or internally, I think the world would be a better place. I think we would all be happier. I really think it's contagious <laughs> to live in that space. I completely agree with you, but I think it's not only energy. I think in some ways it's also just about the lens that we're looking through. And when we're looking through a disapproving lens, in general, everything gets colored with it. So it's not just that we disapprove of them, but we disapprove of the moment, we disapprove of our lives, we disapprove of the conditions around us, we disapprove also, unfortunately, of ourselves. Because a lens of disapproval, there's no real way to to shield yourself from that. When you're looking through a lens of disapproval, you're eventually going to look in a mirror and then see yourself, and it's it's more uncomfortable. Whereas this focusing on the positive and the other person looking through a positive lens, it's not just a good energy. It just means that you're going to then see other the rest of the world in a positive lens. You're going to see your life in a positive lens. You're going to see yourself in a more positive lens. Because when you're asking where you know where is that in you, you can't help but also asking where is that in me, and how do I also show these admirable qualities that I'm seeing in this person, right? You can't, it just all gets reflected back. So I think it's such, such a good point you're making. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said that and I completely agree. And it also reminds me of another way that I think it's important to use relationships as a mirror going a bit back, but it's recognizing what we judge others for is most often something that's in our shadow that we judge ourselves for. So whatever we judge others for harshly, we are also doing that to ourselves. Whether it's, I don't know, the way if I'm making something up on the fly, but if women who talk with really nasally high-pitched voices or drag out their vowels or you think, oh, you sound um, adolescent or you sound stupid or we're, it's because we ourselves feel insecure about that or judging people for what their body looks like. That typically is an indication that we have not accepted something about our own body or that that's a fear we have that we would not love ourselves for. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, in a really sort of silly, petty example, I have a, I had a friend in college who hated her own nose and was always making fun of other people's noses because she just so hated her own nose and she was very nose focused. And another friend who had it with eyebrows where she was commenting on other people's eyebrows, but she just so hated her own eyebrows. And there was just this hyper-focus on, on that when it didn't need to be causing so much unhappiness in herself and so much disapproval of others when she could have just been having a nice time and not focusing on that. Absolutely. That's a perfect example. And it's all the energy we expend focusing on judging other people when instead we could actually put all that energy towards loving this part of ourselves and practicing that. It's not conscious, but using the the judgment we have of others what we don't accept in them as the notification to look at and for that in ourselves and try to love on ourselves more but those were those are exactly those are perfect examples what are some ways people can work with that in their own life and become a little bit more self-reflective about this i think having a daily practice i i did this for a while where at the end of every day i would ask myself did I judge anyone harshly today? You know, standout judgments. And I just write them down. Yeah, I saw like this woman was was shouting on her cell phone in this restaurant. And I judged her so harshly. And it was distracting. And I and so just looking through, oh, what like what in me does that let me know? And is that follow the rules, be considerate, don't be loud. What what can I extract? from the judgment I had of her and look for on myself and what I think is acceptable and not acceptable. What can I learn? And is it always because you secretly are those things or could it be also secretly that you wish you had the, you know, I wish I could scream, but I don't let myself almost like, is it always? Yes. That, no, that's a great question. I'm really glad you asked that because I think that it can be both. I think it can be things that are in our shadow that we deny in ourselves, but there, it also a better way to, to say this or another way of looking at it is saying, you know, maybe it's someone who takes up a lot of space. There's, you know, six people at dinner and one person holds the floor and talks the, almost the whole time. And if you're judging them for that, 
perhaps it's because you would never do that because you don't feel comfortable taking up that much space. Or you think like, I could never, I would never do that. I can't do that. That's not okay. So looking for, yeah, maybe you secretly wish you could, that you want to. I think it's both. Yeah, such interesting stuff. Do you have any other thoughts on being liked by others and connecting with others, not just in a romantic context? I think that if everyone in the world focused on up-leveling their conversational skills, meaning listening, genuine curiosity, the quality of their questions, the presence, true authentic presence. If people could work on up-leveling any of that, I really think that the world would be a better place. I think that we would all feel more connected. We would all feel more fulfilled. We would all feel more seen and heard and satisfied in the human experience and in connecting to other people. I really, I think that the key to being liked is being authentic, being present, being regulated and being kind true. And that's kind of tying back to looking for reasons to love on people, to admire them. It's loving to yourself and it's loving to them. And to me that all the combination of all of this can't result in a negative interaction for someone to think of you negatively or not like you. Especially when you've mastered both presence and regu- and self-regulation. So can we talk about those things? Can we jump into when you say t- true authentic presence? Yeah. What does it really mean to be present? Yeah, I think that today true true presence is really rare and it's hard. I to me that means actually listening and focusing on the other person you're not you know waiting for your turn to talk you know you're not you're just truly listening to them and attuning to what's going on for them like watching their body language listening to their words for me it's actually attuning to the point where I'm thinking I'm not thinking about anything but what they're saying and that's also I think how you access genuine curiosity Because if you're not present and attuned, you can't be curious. It's just authentically curious. Maybe maybe there's a little bit of it, but it really lands when it's coming from that place. So the foundation for presence is being regulated, your nervous system being regulated. So you're able to be present in your body and in the moment with the other person. And then from that place, it's where magic happens, honestly. When you're talking about how rare and hard true presence is and really truly listening, one of the things I was going to bring up before you re-brought up the regulation is anxiety. And it's not, I think a lot of times when people aren't listening, it's not because they're not curious. I don't think the lack of listening is because of necessarily straight up because of lack of curiosity. Oftentimes it's just we have these anxious minds, we're nervous about stuff in our own life, we're focused on our own, whatever it is that we're facing in the day, whatever it is that, whatever dark cloud is hanging over our afternoon that we're going to have to deal with later. But when you talk about easing your nervous system, being in your, being calm in your body, what are some ways we could do that so that we could be more present? Yeah, I love that you said that about how we're not not trying to be curious, like everyone actually genuinely wants to be curious, but it's anxiety and distraction and stress that gets in the way of that. I totally agree with that. And to your question about what are some things we can do to be regulated and to rid ourselves of anxiety or give ourselves access to the ability to be present. In face of the anxiety, because the idea that we're going to just get rid of the anxiety or the stress is unrealistic, but how to be present in the Mm -hmm. face of even when we're anxious, even when we're stressed. Yeah. For me, it all comes back to the breath and my breath and being in my body. Typically, I'm someone who who struggles with anxiety and being distracted. I mean, one of the biggest fights I have with my partner is him saying, you're not listening or you're in your head. Where'd you go? And it's something I've really had to work on. I've had to, and this muscle was atrophied for me. So talking about presence, I don't take lightly because it's something I actively practice every single day and battling the anxiety to get to being present is for me, the most impactful tool that I have discovered is breathing, noticing physical sensations in my body, 
doing the five senses practice to get in my body, taking a deep breath, looking around and saying, okay, what do I see? What do I hear? What do I smell? What do I feel? You know, my clothes on my skin or whatever, touch, taste, sight, all, whatever the five senses. All the senses. Cycling through that, taking a deep breath. And sometimes if I'm sitting down with someone or I'm going to meet a friend and I'm stressed out in traffic and I have a million things going on in my life and I'm anxious about them and I'm sitting there noticing myself being distracted with this person, typically I will take a deep breath. I think it's okay to even ask your friend for a pause. Like, I'm so sorry. I need a second to settle and take a deep breath. Do your quick five senses practice or whatever tool works for you. And set a quick intention in your head, not out loud to them, but I want to be present with this person for 20 minutes. And that to me is, is one of the most loving things you can do for the people in your life is make it a priority to practice presence for them. Uh, I think it would up-level everyone's relationships if they could do that. I think that's so beautiful. You know, it's funny that you mentioned your partner saying that you're not, that you're not paying attention. I sometimes have a similar thing. I have the most brilliant partner and I love what she's saying. I wanna hear everything she's saying. It's so important to me to listen to her. I think it's such a privilege to get to be with someone who I so admire and respect and wanna hear her talk, but I do sometimes get distracted with whatever life is throwing at me and it's a really, it's a really good point, really important to not get lost that way. Yeah, and I love that you say that because I think it is unfortunately really common in a lot of relationships where we do feel like our partner's not being present. And a great reminder is we all want to. We all want to be present. We all care so much about what our partner or our friend or anyone has to say. We want to show up for the people we love. It's not that we won't. It's that we can't. Or it's not. It's a compulsion. It's not an intention. We haven't figured out how. Exactly. We haven't figured out how. And I think that when you remove the story of malicious intent or something like, Oh, it means you don't care about me that what I'm saying isn't important. That energy, that judgment, that frustration, I think actually makes it worse when I can sense my partner's frustrated with me. And in that kind of like, you know, he's hurt, but frustrated. And I sense it, it actually makes me dissociate more or my, my brain runs away even more. And it's way I'm more jittery and I can't concentrate. It's even harder to be present. So it's funny how that cycle starts. Yeah, because if you were anxious before, if you were anxious before, see how anxious you are now that your partner's disappointed in you. It makes it so much worse. Now there's really a reason to be anxious. Exactly. It perpetuates. It's a perpetuating cycle. Um, so it just, I love that you shared that. It prompted me to remember that dynamic too. It's another layer. So we're still on the topic of being liked by others. You said you had a bunch more. Are we... Do you have any other thoughts on that? I I guess the last thing I can say about being liked by others is people are drawn. Something that I believe and that I've witnessed is that people are most drawn to other humans humaning when they are authentically themselves doing their thing in their most radiant genius. Whether you're... Maybe you're super into art or writing or speaking on a stage, but people are most drawn to you when you're in your own zone of genius. And I think that finding a way to exhibit your authenticity is what makes people like you and admire you most, which is a really hard thing to do. And so people pleasing almost counteracts that because you're attuned to the other instead of attuned to yourself. But I think it's always a balance and a dance. Right. We don't need any narcissists. But um, but if you're too hyper-focused on the other person, then you can't be displaying your radiance or your authenticity or your genius because uh, you're not focused on that. You're focused on the other person. Yeah, it's funny hearing you say that. I'm like, I guess isn't that the work is finding the balance between being attuned to others and the me and the we, as Annie says, um, finding the balance between those two things. And it's an ebb and a flow, being attuned to the other and being your authentic self and selfing. It is the work, especially in relationship. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't we don't want to be such a diminished version of ourselves. Even if it does make the other person feel good, we don't want to be so diminished that then what are they even going to like about us? There's nothing left of us. Uh, but when we're too much, then we're not, there's no room for the other person to be in their radiance and mm -hmm. genius and, you know, taking up all the air, like you say. Absolutely a balance. So what advice do you have for anyone who just flat out wants to be living a better life? What's the first place you would start? I would start with scanning your life currently for all the reasons that you already love it and for all the reasons that it's already great. That's absolutely where I would start. And I think the second piece to that is tuning into what a better life would look like, which is actually what you want. And for some people, it can be really hard to know what you want, let alone be able to describe it. So that practice of what do I already love about my life? What am I grateful for in it? Yeah, what what is everything about my life that is already great? And then what do I want to make it even better? And being as specific as possible, there's real power, I think, in putting words to our desires. And the first place I start is by writing it down. And I recommend making it a daily practice. Wow, every day. Yeah, even if it's the same thing every day. You can watch it evolve over time. I love the idea of scanning for what you already love about your life and why it's already great, because that gets back to that lens, the lens of positivity, the lens of gratitude. It's impossible not to already start to make yourself feel better. And then when you're feeling better, that's already half the battle. Yeah. And then it's interesting because if someone's not loving their life, the idea of setting goals can be hard because oftentimes we don't really know. We think we know, but until you sit down, set it to paper and get really specific, do we know? Yeah, I think you summed it up really well. And putting pen to paper can often surprise you. It's a process of, you know, letting it evolve and identifying what the thing is and leaning into it being a process of what do I want and how do I turn the volume up on that? You know, when we're younger or as we're growing up, so much of what we want, we're told we can't have or it's not good for you or you shouldn't. So we get so used to not fully go not fully embracing all of our wants yeah and then also we could because of the influence that we might have from our peers or from culture we might actually think we want things that if we had them wouldn't serve us wouldn't make us happy so it could be that the things we think we want we wouldn't really want and then we don't really know what we really want I love that you said that because I think that it's a very critical point to this process and it reminds me of an exercise that I did for a while a few years ago when I was working on this myself and it was writing a list of all my desires or anything I wanted to manifest which is a fun trendy buzzword right now but what it's really saying what do I want what's my vision for my life what's my vision for building a better life but it's just, what do I want? And when I made the list and then I actually asked myself, why do I want that? My list started to change. And I think that through that process, you get really clear on where did this desire come from? Whose voice is that? When you start asking why and then refining from there. So that's, I think that's an added layer to this. And I really love that you brought that up. You know, it's just such an important point because th this idea of understanding our desires is just so important because it's not obvious. You know, we look out in the world and someone wants to be the best designer. Someone else wants to be the best actress. Someone else wants to be the best therapist, the best lawyer, the best doctor, the best. There's so many different ways. There's so many different ways we can go. And until we've really looked at our own self and, and also if we think that we want to be a doctor, it could just be because our, our parents have always said that or it's not really authentic. When you talked about writing this down daily, do you have sort of daily prompts that you that you use that you could recommend that could, people could use every day and if they wanted to journal and use journaling as a tool? That's a great question. I think the process that I, I can share the process that I did and still do. And it was just free writing 
what the most beautiful future I could possibly dream up for myself and who I want to be, how I show up in my life and my relationships, what I'm doing for my, in my work, it can even get down to what you look like, you know, is your hair really long? Do you, what are you wearing? What's your, just anything that comes up that helps you fully immerse yourself in a vision of the most beautiful life that you can imagine for yourself. And that's where I started. And it, I think asking yourself why you want these things helps you do an audit for, as you were saying before, cultural influence that's shaping your desires versus what's coming truly from inside your soul or what, you know, our parents conditioned us to want or the societal pressures, any of that, you can do an audit for that. But for me starting there and then rewriting that vision every day as if it were the current. So I am this way. I do this for work. This is, you know, my relationship is. So you're speaking in present tense about a future you wish could come true. So you're kind of living into it, which first of all, yeah. for anyone who thinks, oh, well, that's just sci-fi and a waste of time. I would imagine it makes you feel really good, right? It's a very good, positive feeling to go there. I imagine a, and then I also imagine that the more we can stay clear on where our goal is on the horizon that we're aiming towards, it allows us throughout our life to take all the opportunities that come up to get us there, where if we're not really thinking about our goals, if an opportunity comes up, we might not really realize it's there. We might not be sorting for that kind of information. So I think it, it's a positive, it helps you focus on the positive, feel really good, be more motivated on the one hand, but also be more attuned to the opportunities that are better, that, that, that come up, that can better help you get there by doing that. Absolutely. It's using your imagination, which we have it for a reason. And to me, it's why not use it for a way that delights me daily. And it's not to say, okay, writing this in the present tense magically makes it happen. But just like you were saying, it brings it into our consciousness in a way that almost gives us a North star that's very much there and real to us. So we, we have a vision that we're working towards and it makes it easier to recognize things in our life and make choices that get us closer to that and orient towards that versus if it weren't top of mind. And I love that you're not just talking about the things you want to have. It's sort of like, I want this beautiful house or beautiful car. You're really talking about who you, how you want to be showing up, what you want to be doing. Really, it's about the person that you are in this future and the ways that you've grown and seeing yourself as having grown through that, which is so great too, because in times when we're stuck and feeling like that's not possible, to put ourselves in the mind state where we've done it, where we've achieved it. Yeah, absolutely. It's who and how I want to be. I used to do a lot of that when I was single and instead of just wallowing in loneliness, I would, I would write long journal entries about how happy I would be with my person when we were finally together and how good things would be. And it was just a way of, instead of leaning into despair, just sort of refusing to go there and instead being so excited about this future I knew eventually would come, which because I was focused on the positive, it made the future more likely to come. Had I just wallowed in loneliness, maybe I would have said, oh, there's no point in even trying. There's no point in dealing with these stupid dating apps. There's no point in even going out. Uh, the more we wallow in despair, the, the less motivated we are. Whereas if we're doing what you're talking about, focusing on a really beautiful, exciting future where we are living into our best selves, it's so motivating. Yeah, absolutely. Using your imagination in a way that delights you <laughs> versus using your imagination in a way that makes you feel like shit. It's sort of like something they might have told us in kindergarten that you know we then forgot but it's so important mm -hmm. you know this isn't light this is deep stuff and it and it really actually is so important and it really works before i let you go do you have any other just any other thing that you just wish every woman knew or, or could have in her life if she, every woman knew about themselves or about the world that could just make their lives better you know i'm just going to say the first thing that popped into my mind and that is um i wish that every woman in the world could have a beautiful, strong, loving, and clear, connected relationship with their body. Because I really think that, and not just body image, but 
being embodied, appreciating your body, connecting to the physical of who you are and experiencing the world more from that place. Because I really think that connect, being connected to your body is being connected to yourself and your intuition. And it all starts with, with coming from there. And so what would be the first steps that people could take? Is that just going back to breath and the five senses, scanning the five senses? Yeah, I think, well, for me, really practicing breathing and regulating my nervous system through the breath, but being present with myself, just taking deep breaths. Annie taught me her, Annie Lala, my relationship coach taught me this many, many years ago. And when I really listened to her and started doing my homework um, and have done research beyond from there on what types of regulation works for me, I keep circling back to the tool she gave me. Uh, and that is five deep breaths minimum. Sometimes I have to do 30, but with a double length exhale in through the nose, out through the mouth with a double length exhale. So for like, if you breathe in for five seconds, you breathe out for 10 seconds. That's what you mean by double length exhale? Exactly. I like to do a count of four on the way in and eight on the way out or five and 10. And starting my day doing deep breaths and then doing that journaling practice has improved my life through that little morning routine and moving my body afterwards if I have time, whether it's dance or going for a walk or 10 minutes of something, that combination, breathing, journaling, and a few minutes of movement, ideally 30, but whatever works for you, that has changed my life. Yeah. So what are some of the things you're working on these days? I'm really interested in language and how it shapes our reality. And it's something that I'm studying and writing about on my own lately. And it's something that I want to start sharing more and more about and how often in relationships, it can seem like you and your partner or a friend or whoever, if in a conflict, you're speaking different languages. Like I often say that about my partner, it's like, we can't get on the same page and we're both speaking English, but we're, we're experiencing the situation so differently. And I am very curious and interested in language and how it shapes our reality and how the words we use create our world. Um, so that's something that I'm working on right now. Can I ask you questions about it? Yeah, yeah. What, are, what is a way that you and your partner or that, to, that a couple can be talking about the same things but using different language and then therefore experiencing things differently? I think that often people are attracted to someone who experiences and expresses themselves, experiences language and expresses themselves very differently than the other. And so one example of that is I tend to be more romantic and abstract in my language. And it's like the essence of what I'm saying is what I mean. And my husband is very literal. And so he's, he hears the literally what I'm saying and there's no nuance and there's no room for flexibility or interpretation. And that becomes a point of contention where I hear someone expressing themselves and I often am like, oh, you're saying this very subtle statement, but I hear underneath that you're feeling really lonely and this is really hard for you, but you're kind of saying everything's fine. Does that make sense of like the essence of it is there's always some other thing being communicated and I would be, I think I would be served well to pay more attention to literal language, just like someone else might be served well to read more between the lines and pay more attention to what's not being said. So it's a little bit of both. Your husband is taking what the person said and just listening to it, and that will serve him in some ways, but in other ways, he's going to miss some stuff. Mm -hmm. And for you, when you're listening between the lines, that'll serve you in some ways. But there are sometimes when someone's literally just saying what they're saying, and, if, and it could be frustrating if you're not listening to that exact thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I just think that there's so much room for understanding each other better in communication and in language and how we express ourselves, because language is very limiting. I mean, that's really what I'm kind of studying is how are we limited by language and what are we really saying and how are we missing each other in that space? And how are you using that to help couples? I think that it's helping me understand that all of conflict that I see with couples is mostly just miscommunication and it just looks 
different. Like we're, we're not seeing it as a simple miscommunication, but it typically always is. And so it's, this is sort of a way for me to study and make sense of something that naturally is impacting how I work with couples, given that most conflict is just a miscommunication, but I don't really have a direct example of how it's translating right now. It's just something I'm super excited about and interested in exploring. That's so great. I love it. I, another thing that I'm working on is I actually am starting a psychedelic assisted therapy training in the fall, and I'm very excited about that. And it's something that I'm, I'm hoping to offer my clients in the future. Wow. That's extraordinary. How'd you get into that? I found a program. I recently moved to Oregon and uh, psilocybin is legal for therapy here, or it's been decriminalized and they're rolling out different programs. I think this is only the second cohort ever for most of the trainings in Oregon. And I'm, yeah, I'm very eager to study how this could be a tool to help people, especially in personal work that then directly improves all relationships. Have you and Anthony done psilocybin-assisted therapy yourself? Yeah, I think that my experience with doing psychedelic-assisted therapy was one of the single most impactful things that I've done in my healing journey. And I've seen the ripple effect that that had on my relationships because of who I'm growing into and what I'm healing and how I'm showing up. And it's impacted both of our lives tremendously. And we saw the benefits of it as individual work, but then it was, you know, the, the benefit of it was tenfold in our relationship because you work on your part and everything shifts. So it's something that I'm really excited to learn more about and to hopefully be able to offer the people I work with. Do you have any examples? One example of how me personally doing psychedelics with a therapist uh, impacted my relationship was it really helped me get connected to myself and my own intuition. And that helped me to show up stronger in my relationship in a way that I was more proud of, more clear, uh, more true to myself that actually benefited the us, so to speak. Yeah, it's funny how nature has these plants and molecules that help us become a better person in their own mysterious ways. It's so true. So what are you currently offering clients? Currently, I offer relationship coaching for both individuals and couples. And I would say it's about half and half right now. I work with some people who are recovering or processing a past relationship and healing from that and also looking for the right relationship or the next one. And I also work with couples who are working on communication, conflict resolution, and connection primarily. Right. So a lot of broken hearts and then a lot of avoiding broken hearts. Exactly. I love it. So where can women go to find more of your content and of you? Yeah, I, my website is howwegetalong.com and I've started publishing short essays, blog posts there. And I also post a lot on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at how we get along and at how we get along on Instagram. But I would say that Instagram is the place where I put out the most uh, conflict tips. It's mostly, I say tools to improve your relationships, but I also share a lot, a lot of quotes from books that have helped me thoughts on how to understand ourselves better, just as much as it is tactical and practical action steps on things you can try in your relationship. It's a, it's a mix of both on Instagram, which uh, I think is helpful. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Everything you shared here, if people were implementing that, the world would be a happier, better place. And my world is a happier, better place with you in it. I love you so much. Aww. I'm so glad we got to do this. Likewise. Thank you for sharing all this wisdom. I love you. I love talking to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share it with a friend, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want lesbian dating advice from me more often, follow me on Instagram at jordana.michelle. Also, don't forget that womenwantingwomen.com is packed with free resources that can help you build your confidence and have more success with dating. While you're there, 
you can book a one-on-one coaching session with me to get my personal support in finding the love you long for. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. And I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. 